Hello, you're listening to an e-assessment association podcast. Hi, Tim Bidet here from the e-assessment association. Uh, I'm here today with Matt Wingfield from the e-assessment association, the chair of the association. Um, Matt got together with two of uh, very prominent uh, representatives from the assessment community, uh, Dr. Maren Deepwell and Paula Goddard. And Matt, I understand you got together to talk about the Future of Assessment report by JISC. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, the, the report that was published by JISC in uh, February, and, and at the time, um, I thought it was a very forward-looking looking report. I think there was a lot of uh, reticence in some some areas that said you know this is all great and we've been been talking about some of this for quite a while but who's actually going to be the change change agent in in, in progressing all of this and I think it um, that was a uh, it's always been a significant issue with moving new technologies whether it's assessment related or not forward and obviously what's happened since JISC published the report is we've had the uh, the COVID-19 pandemic which has really accelerated uh, people's adoption and use of technologies to support learning and assessment. But in re- on reflection, I think one of the things that's really important um, in all of this is that we do still keep an eye on this JISC report and its, and its, its guidance around the, the areas um, that it outlines around making sure that the technology is supporting authentic assessment, that it's accessible, that it's appropriately automated, it's continuous and it's secure because those things are gonna be really even more important now than they were pre-COVID-19 um, in the use of technology to, to, to facilitate remote assessment. So, so you, we, you sat down and had this conversation, COVID-19 was still kind of very much um, very early days, wasn't it? Um, and, it was. and things have, have significantly moved on. So there are still some very important and pertinent points in the podcast dear listener you're about to hear um so we do recommend that you listen to the report listen to this podcast um and i think everyone then needs to go back to this list like you say and just make sure that all these amazing um important decisions quick decisions that have been made around these technology in assessment and learning still adhere to some of the 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 guidance and targets within this i think that's the important message we're saying here isn't it it is. I think that's critical because otherwise we're going to end up with half-baked solutions that are not going to fulfil the needs of, of any of the stakeholders within, uh, within the overall assessment landscape. And what, JISC, what the JISC report really clearly sets out is, is what you need in order to make such remote assessments or digital, digitised assessments successful. Excellent. So let's go to Matt talking with Dr. Maren Deepwell and Paula Goddard. Uh, let's play the audio. Well, let me start by um, by thanking um, you both for for joining me for this conversation, um, where we're going to be looking uh, in particular at a report that's recently been published by JISC, um, entitled "The Future of Assessment: uh, Five Principles, Five Targets for 2025." Um, perhaps um, we could start by just doing a quick introduction um, of ourselves uh, so that everybody understands uh, the context and the um, perspective that we bring to this conversation. So um, if, I, if I kick off, uh, my name is Matt Wingfield. I'm the, uh, the chair of the E-Assessment Association um, and in a former life was a primary school teacher um, and I've been involved in the EdTech business probably for more years than I want to admit, but certainly about 25 years now. 
um, in the in the edtech industry and and in the last 15 within the e-assessment um, in industry. Um, Marin, would you like to introduce yourself to the uh, to the listeners? Hello, everyone. Um, I'm Dr. Marin Deepwell. I'm the chief executive of the Association for Learning Technology. Um, ALT is the leading professional body for learning technology professionals in the UK, um, and we were founded in 1993, so we've also been part of this um, for a long time. Assessment is a really key part for our community and their professional practice, so really looking forward to discussing this today. Thank you, Marin. And Paula, could you introduce yourself? Yes, hello. My name's Paula Goddard. I work as a senior examiner an exam question writer for many of the this country's awarding bodies. Um, I'm very keen on writing very good questions and uh, my overall aim for the future of any assessment is to find no ambiguous questions within an exam at all. That's a great aim and uh, and quite a challenging one as well, I, I imagine. Um, but fantastic aim to have. Well, well again, thank you both for joining uh, uh, joining me to have this conversation. I think um, it might be worth just um, setting the context for those people who haven't had a chance to uh, to read the JISC report yet. Um, it sets out in, in I, I think in, in really quite plain um, and, under, and an understandable way um, a, a vision for. Um, what JISC feels is a, an ideal approach to assessment and, and it identifies um, sort of five uh, areas, uh, recommendations of, of focus for assessment moving forward um, around assessment being authentic, um, around it being accessible, um, around the use of appropriate um, uh, automated technology um, and it also being then continuous as, as, a, as an assessment form and being secure, um, which I think is uh, that they're, they're very um, laudable um, uh, suggestions for, for what assessment should be. And we can dig into to, to the details of, of whether we agree with that or, or, or indeed whether we have other suggestions um, in a minute. And they also then take that forward um, to suggest some uh, using those five areas as targets, five, five assessment principles as targets um, through which they'd like to see the industry evolve the current assessment mechanisms and, and models um, over the next five years. So that's the context. The report came out um, a few weeks ago from, from JISC um, and, uh, and, and we've come up with some questions to enable us to have a bit of a discussion around, around the, the report. So. Um, without further ado, let's um, let's kick off with, with, with the questions. And, and, and my suggestion is that we uh, we approach these um, one at a time. Um, and please feel free to uh, uh, to ask any questions as we as we go along, um, if uh, of, the, of the other person who's speaking at the time. So, first question um, was: To what extent do you agree with these five assessment principles outlined by JISC? So, assessment should be authentic, accessible, appropriately automated, continuous. Um, and secure. And do you think there are other principles that institu institutions and policymakers should be considering? So, Marin, can we come to you first? Because I, I know um, Alt has um, a, a focus both on HE and 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 FE, and it would be interesting to uh, to get your take on on those principles. Thanks, Matt. Um, well, I think it's really interesting to to read this report. Um, particularly in, in face of the different challenges that we're facing across sectors. And um, 
I think our my members in particular, um, you know, would would identify with with these five principles, in in terms of their um, their concerns around assessment. Um, but I think there's also a lot um, a lot of leeway to interpret these um, in in terms of the different contexts. So I don't think they necessarily mean the same to all people. Mm. Um, and the perspective is, you know, um, I think it's helpful that JISC is highlighting some of the potential of the technology to help us scale up or um, help us expand provision. But I also think there is a lot to be considered in terms of the um, ethical implications of using technology at scale, um, particularly in relation to, you know, how we treat students and, and how we, um, what sort of future we want to um, to build for the education system. Uh, very good points. And, and, and I guess um, we'll come on to, to, to think about how realistic the targets are. But, but just before we move on um, to your perspective, Paula, Marin, I'm curious, particularly with the perspective of looking across a couple of sectors, do, do you see um, different potential applications for, for these five principles in, in the different, both in higher education and, and, and further education? Or, or do you think they're much the same? Well, I think in some ways the principles are, you know, the same, but on the other hand, the context isn't. I feel that there is a broader spectrum of preparedness and capability and also infrastructure in further educational, vocational education than there is in higher education. Um, and it is, you know, also very differently resourced. So some providers may find this a... Um, an achievable perspective to to work to others might be quite far removed from that so it's very difficult as we have such a broad spectrum of providers in um in further education you know okay. it i think it's very challenging for them yes yeah no indeed okay thank you for that paula what 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 what's your um thoughts around these the, the five principles to assessment that jessica's identified in the report I think these five principles are very broad and it's not just about a change to technology. This is more about a change of mindset. Uh, so the five principles outlined allow us to think to people setting exams, is there another way of capturing what an exam candidate can do or what an exam candidate can know without them just writing reams of text? So, for example, um, if if I was reading an exam question to you and we were having an informal discussion, I wouldn't then explain my answer to you in a, a formal letter. I would probably just speak to you as I am now using informal language. I may get up and walk around and demonstrate waving my hands about and probably I would then get out a piece of paper and sketch what I mean. So all of that could be used with technology, for example, um, capturing with a, a video camera, which is something that within the JISC report, capturing movement or uh, speech or acting. But the idea of just sketching an answer could be employed now. So a change of mindset within how paper exam is written. So if if we allowed an exam candidate to sketch anything they like, 
not just sketch a graph or a response to the exact question where it says sketch your response but if i say i was trying to explain the battle of hastings to the examiner i wouldn't just write down what i know i would perhaps write do a sketch of the entire scene with arrows flung about all over it so i could do that now in a paper and pen exam as well as perhaps using technology so i think it's great report but it's a it's a mindset no, I think that's an interesting point because I think it, there's no doubt that the JISC report is focusing around the use of technology to um, somehow enable um, a, a more easily, e easy delivery um, of different types of assessment that embrace those five five principles. And, um, but I think you're you're absolutely right, Paula. It's a it's a cultural change um, that we need to go through as much as anything else. Tech, the technology can definitely enable this and it can enable it um, these these principles to be approached at a at scale um, but it can only do that if the culture is there to support that approach um, and and it strikes me that if if you look at particularly the the, the he and the fe space right now um, there are different cultural approaches to assessment within within those two spaces whereas uh, higher education um, perhaps is looking more um, around sort of knowledge recall and knowledge understanding and and and, and um, relevance of, of of information to a to a, a more of an academic approach whereas further education is perhaps looking at more practical skills um, that are suited to um, workplace interviews and, and apprenticeship interviews and all of that kind of stuff too so so there is a different culture there Marin, do you do you agree with that that, that that there needs to be some cultural buy-in to this and that there is a difference in that cultural approach between the two sectors you know that is a really interesting question um i suppose i i see it slightly differently in that um i think for me there was a question around who has the 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 drive to make change. And I think um, culturally and across the sectors, we often um, you know, get technology as an industry or the ed tech industry, and we're thinking mainly you know, the, the tech companies themselves here to be the driving force behind innovation. So as Paula was saying, you know, there was a new technology that might let you capture something on video, but actually we could already do this now with pen and paper. And so, I think there is a um I would like to see a mindset where we place the driver to have change within the sector rather than either at the door of technology providers or you know tech innovators or indeed necessarily policymakers. I think policymakers need to be under a little bit more pressure um to get on board with with that. I think there is um maybe a little bit of inertia um to to kind of reluctance to to change or maybe mess with exams because they're so important and assessment is so important and it's very complicated and very few people are you know expert enough to to really understand all the different elements that are at stake um but i think across sectors i feel there ought to be more um there ought to be more empowerment in relation to um the experts that are actually you know that they understand what is being tested and how rather than necessarily the emphasis being placed on it being driven by technology 
Yeah, and I, and I think that that sounds like that's coming through um, from both of you in in slightly different ways, perhaps. But 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 actually, that the 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 most useful focus for these five principles right now might be actually around um, the, the the pedagogy and the cultural um, sides of the assessment, the, the the teaching, learning, and assessment process, rather than trying to uh, force innovation uh, almost um, by the adoption of technology. Is that right, or or, or am I um, paraphrasing incorrectly? No, I I think think you're right there, Matt. Uh, I mean, what we must remember, none of this is new. The awarding bodies have been investigating, uh, particularly moving exams to online. That is candidates typing exams into a computer for years at least the last 10 to 15 years and many of the members of the e-assessment association have been involved with that and mm. if we if we pick their brains they will tell us that they've talked about using digital pens that is uh, a, a biro pen that when you write on a special piece of paper would actually capture the handwriting uh, digitally and then you would send that off. Now, that technology has been around for at least 10 years uh, and is now very old hat. Uh, and then they're in New Zealand, of course, now they are investigating students uh, using their own computers to type school type answers when they sit, sit their school exams like our GCSEs. So it's all happening and it's all out there. It's just um, like Marion was saying, who goes first? Is it the technology or is it the exam? So I think fundamentally, it we need to sit down and say, what are we actually trying to achieve here? What's the assessment for? Before we go off, like we have done on many, many other digital and computer-based projects that have been promoted by the government and spend lots and lots of money on something that doesn't work. So I would say, go back, think about what we want, have we got the people there to do it? And then go from there. Thank you for that. I think at, at the danger of going slightly off piste in terms of the plan and just, just, just moving around a little bit within the questions that we had discussed in advance, because I think there's a really interesting thread emerging here around where the focus should be. And I just um, would like to explore that a little bit if you're both comfortable um, with that. Okay, um, yeah. So, so if we pick up the thread of 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 where the focus should be, one one of the things that often vexes me, if I look at the market and how quickly adoption um, takes place, and 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 I think it's it's interesting that the report reflected on this as well to a degree that the UK certainly in terms of adopting technology wholesalely to support assessment is somewhat behind the curve in comparison with some of our European neighbours. And I think they, they quoted a specific example of, of, of a, a university in the Netherlands that's almost 100% um, digital in terms of its assessment delivery now. I wonder what it is that blocks that change. Is it not at not having access to the people who are suitably skilled or feel confident enough to be able to roll this out and again that the report touches on on the confidence level of of teachers and um, educators in terms of de delivering and supporting this is it is it a lack of technology i i suspect not um and I'll, actually i don't suspect it i know it isn't it's it, it feels very firmly that there's 
to me anyway, that there's technology there to do this kind of stuff? Or is it policy, whether that's institutional policy or um, gov government policy that, that, that becomes the blocker to this? So, so is it the people at the chalk face? Is it the technology or is it the policymakers at whatever level they sit within, within the scheme of things that, that you think are actually blocking more of this? Matt Marin, can I come to you first on, on that one? Sure, Matt. Um, well, Matt, I'll try and start my answer with um, something in the, the report itself, reflecting on principle 3, the appropriately automated assessment. So the DISC report quotes the government's current edtech strategy um, as the problem of digital um, marking or marking in general being high on the agenda for government. Um, and government has expressed this in terms of their desire for us to reduce teachers' marking workload um, being a key educational challenge. And, you know, I think no one's arguing that it is a key educational challenge, but I think for many of my members, um, this reads very much in the same way as a lot of the conversation about automation in education, which is ultimately in, in some ways devaluing um, some of the the people effort involved in assessment and sort of I think goes very much towards you know maybe needing fewer teachers and I think particularly in um, in FE where we've seen such strong funding cuts I think there is a real concern and I think when you start a conversation with educators at any institution from the perspective of making efficiencies or you know reducing workload there is generally based on experience and expectation that then there won't actually be this workload for maybe more, you know, one-to-one um, -one support, but that they'll just be cut. And I think that's really, from my point of view, where we, the, narr the narrative we've built nationally is very much not about aspiration or what we could do for the learner, but uh, also a lot about sort of efficiencies and, and just kind of trying to reduce um, workloads and so I'm I'm not sure I'm getting this across as clearly as I'd like to but but I think for me it's a lot about how we frame it rather than a sort of specific problem this do, do you see where I'm going with that Matt no no I do and I, and I completely agree I think I think you're if I'm understanding you correctly you're saying that the focus needs to be on how we improve the assessment and the learning experience for for the learners and look at using technology to assess things that we would struggle to assess on paper so that we're we're using technology for the betterment of the experience around assessment rather than just trying to use it as a way to um, make the process more efficient um, and thus that gets spun into the potential for um, um, removing the teacher from the process or removing the human from the process shall we say is that that a fair summary Yes, yes, thank you, <laughs> but it's much nicer than I have. Well, and, and, and I think, it, you know, it's a, it's a very valid thing to pick up because I think often technology is seen as, uh, as a thing to introduce more efficiency. And of course it is, um, and of course it is also a, a, an enablement of scale, but it, but it should always be um, technology for education's sake rather than technology for technology's sake. And, and I think when you, when you look at it through that, technology for educational benefit um, lens, um, people um, get a lot more excited about it. 
But Paula, any 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 thoughts e either on where the blockers lie or, or, or on that last point or both? Yes, I'm I'm with Marin here. It's people and that are actually part of the 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 blocking of this. It yes, the technology is there and it will require money and it will require um, putting in schools and colleges access to lots of technology, you know, video cameras, online reliable online connections, which we can't say is happening everywhere in the UK at the moment. But something not often discussed is the skills. Do the people within the awarding bodies at the moment and their support team of examiners and exam writers, people like myself, do we have the skills to actually move forward with, forward with this? Uh, I'm thinking something that uh, the NCTJ do at the moment, that's the body that trains journalists. They are already using uh, video within their exams. So uh, a trainee journalist will watch a short video online and take their exam online. So they'll watch a video and then they have to type into the computer uh, their answer. Now, the report by JISC was talking about video and using that. Um, and I can see that'd be a very good way to go. So within say school exams or HE exams now, uh, video could be used to show somebody, uh, say a science experiment, perhaps with a voiceover explaining what they have to do. And then with a voice at the end saying, the, the question you have to answer is this. Now that's all well and good, but I'm thinking as an exam writer, do I now have to move into the field of being a script writer? Because at the moment I write text exams in a formal language, but if I then have to move to say video production, do I, not have, do I also have to learn video production skills, write the voiceover script in an informal language, um, do I then start working with a media production team who, that, who are perhaps not teachers or examiners? I think we're moving into a whole new world away from what there is at the moment. And I don't think that's been considered very fully. Are there people out there who can actually do this? If, if I can just come in and add to that, Matt, um, I, I completely um, I think it's a really important point to make. And I think that's also for me, relates to building capacity within institutions rather than necessarily buying in expertise from the tech industry. Because while it's important to work with industry experts and work in partnership with providers who innovate and who develop their technology, I think it's really important to develop the skills within institutions as well as um, awarding bodies and exam boards and examiners. No, absolutely, and and again, I, I completely agree with both of you on this. I think I think often the the implications of training and support for staff is often left as the poor relation to the headline grabbing um, uh, capital expenditure type um, uh, 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 um, purchases, if you like, that either institutions or governments will will make. And I and I think back to 
um, when I was still um, in the in the world of schools um, and and interactive whiteboards were introduced, you know, it was it was all about the interactive whiteboard and very little consideration was given to training the teachers on how to use those interactive whiteboards in a way that was more than just a whiteboard, and um, and and you see that time and time again. And and so I you know I think you're right. It's about um, helping the the practitioners, whether they are um, educators, assessors, or, or, or whatever their role is in this piece, to have the the skills and and the confidence, I think, to uh, to, to to deliver this. Um, and 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 I think another interesting observation. It'd be this is stepping away from the GIST report momentarily, but I, I know I was in in an Ofqual um, meeting, uh, a workshop a few weeks ago that was looking at the barriers to more pervasive on use of online assessment or on-screen assessment within general qualifications um, and one of the observations that was made there is that if you introduce technology into the exam hall who is there to support the use of that technology when it goes wrong and that perhaps that would necessitate a, a change in the role of of the invigilator who is there to make sure that malpractice doesn't happen, but actually the technology now exists with remote proctoring, remote, remote invigilation to be able to do that um, on, on at scale uh, remotely from the exam hall. So perhaps the exam invigilator in the room, the physical person is there more as a, a technical support person and an enabler for using the technology rather than um, as a traditional invigilator. Um, and, and, and I suppose, you know, just taking that particular um, thread a little bit further. How, what, what sort of appetite do you think would be, would there be within the sectors that you're most familiar with um, for adopting that kind of change of role that is more supportive of the use of technology in an assessment context, um, rather than being there to in 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 the in the in the more traditional way, making sure that the candidate does what they're meant to do in a in a high stakes assessment. So either of you got any thoughts on on that around appetite for change? And it doesn't have to be that specific example, but I was just curious about whether or not you think there is appetite for change within the assessment model. And Mara, maybe if we come to you first, looking thinking more specifically around HE. Do you think there's appetite to change the role that people play within supporting and delivering assessment within higher education? Yes, yes, okay. I think there is great appetite. I think there's a couple of different reasons for that. Firstly, working more closely with employers and what we're seeing happening in work-based learning, um, okay. whether in HE or in FE, our educational institutions don't want to be left behind and um, what they provide in terms of assessment and accreditation is extremely high value but we are seeing other forms of micro credentials and work-based learning um, increasingly being taken up by employers so i think the pressure to remain relevant has vastly increased people's appetite for change um, i also think we're all very aware that students need to be um, prepared to for lifelong learning, which is something the GISC report also references, um, but also that their, um, their preparedness to take um, assessments or undertake assessments in different ways needs to be um, developed. And so again, I think that's increased the appetite. 
But last but not least, and I think this is one of the points you both made at the start as well, is that this isn't new. We have decades of research, um, bodies like the E-Assessment Association or my own association for learning technology have, you know, research, evidence, case studies, pilot studies. Um, we do know how to do these things well. And um, so I really think that maybe some institutional leaders need to rethink their risk assessments and consider what the risks are of no, not acting rather than acting. I think that's a that's a very good point, and 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 there is often I think um, people miss the fact that there is more risk in not doing something than there is in trying to do something. As long as the motivation for wanting to do it is correct, um, then I think there's often less risk in trying to do that. But people don't often see that, and I think that risk often becomes a, uh, a perceived barrier to innovation um, um, rather than an actual barrier um, because because people underestimate the risk of, of, of not doing anything. Paula, do you have anything, any thoughts on this in terms of this whole appetite for change within the sector? And I, and, and I think, you know, equally within the, the general qualification sector, which I know is a, an area that you do a lot of work in, what, what the appetite for change is like in that sector too. I think the appetite for change would be wary. Uh, I think we're down to people skills again, because Matt, your suggestion, your example was uh, invigilators within an example, changing from the traditional role of walking up and down and checking that an exam candidate has a pen or needs an extra bit of paper to perhaps one where they are a, a computer technician. Well, that is actually moving to a completely different sort of skill sets and a different person to attract to the role because at the moment the invigilators whether they are doing school exams or university exams or in in any uh, situation are often older people partly because they have they are able to fit in with the rigors of the exam timetable that is work on non-adjacent days at times during the day uh, and they have the and they are willing to work for let's not put too fine a point on it a minimum wage and they're happy to be feeling useful but if we move to one where an invigilator is a, a computer technician they are basically we're looking for people who understand the role of technology how to uh, mend it how to do that very very quickly passwords get a, a wi-fi system up and running uh, in not just digital but then interacting with the candidate you don't want an invigilator who rushes up and pushes the candidate to to one side pushes them off their laptop or computer or tablet and says hey, let me let me at it let me do this and I'll, I'll sort it out for you and they take their laptop away and fiddle with it for 10 minutes meanwhile the candidate has totally lost their thread totally forgotten what they were doing so i think the, this role of uh, invigilator who isn't a, a technician I think there needs to be a lot of thinking about that because you'd have to attract a different sort of person. The pay scale would be different. And is the is the industry ready for that? Well, perhaps not. No, I, no indeed, I, I, I agree. I think there's lots of, of, of potential um, challenges with that suggestion, but it does illustrate that perhaps one of the problems that we have in introducing change is not having the right skill set 
uh, or the right um, level of confidence within particular skilled areas that we've but you know that we've all referenced um, through the conversation so far that's probably perhaps the biggest barrier I think is, is, is what seems to be coming out through the conversation um, in, in whatever form that might take um, in terms of the assessment delivery but 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 just sort of sticking sticking with this but but moving slightly um, on on from it as well if we if we think about and, and, and I'm thinking specifically here perhaps of the traditional type of assessment that happens in a general qualification setting and and also um, traditionally in a higher education summative setting where there's this more big bang approach to to assessment so everybody's taking the assessment at a set time um, regardless of whether they're ready or not I mean that's perhaps another that's a whole other area of conversation that we can have um, around the the design of the assessment from that perspective but in order to introduce innovative change into assessment delivery, whether that's technology-based or whether that's around some of the areas that JISC outline in their report around continuous assessment or authentic assessment. How ready are our sectors for changing and moving away from that big bang assessment approach that, that we've been reliant on for, for many, many years? Because it strikes me that there is a a juxtaposition between that approach and trying to be more authentic and be more continuous in our assessment model. Mar Maren, do you have any thoughts on, on that? Yeah, and the report actually makes some really interesting, um, has some interesting reflections on the, you know, the upsides and the downsides of continuous assessment in particular, relating to you know, whether it causes students more stress to be continuously monitored, the value of giving people um, space to to fail and to learn from mistakes and not be under the impression that they either have to game the system or perform all of the time. Um, and and I wonder actually whether, you know, like just make the uh, continuous assessment one of the sort of five targets for the next five years, but when you dive deep down into the report and look at the different conclusions in this section, um, it's actually not entirely clear cut, at least not from my reading, whether, you know, that is necessarily um, the way forward to kind of measure or analyze um, even more than we already do. Um, and I think this is where my student, my members would have also some you know, concerns about students' rights, um, students' well-being, and the ethics around that. So, one of the examples um, of tools in the report is, um, for example, um, Turnitin. And we've seen over the last few months, you know, lots of discussion across sectors and industries around the business model of um, businesses like that, whether or not the um, the long-term revenue generation strategies of um, using the data that is being collected through the assessment process, um, whether that should raise concerns and whether students and staff have uh, options of opting in or out of such use. And there is a lot of question marks that we don't really have answers to in relation to a lot of the more sophisticated um, analytics and sort of digital um, quantifying or even AI processes that are now ready to be adopted at enterprise level. This is where I think we've, I'm looking forward to doing some work in that area this year on coming up with a kind of um, a checklist um, of 
in relation to the ethical use of learning technology for learning and teaching and also um, for assessment to help people navigate those types of conversations. But I, from my perspective, we're quite um, a step removed from being ready for, for making informed decisions. That's interesting. And I remember um, at the uh, the old conference in, in the autumn last year, there was quite a bit of debate around that, wasn't there, around the ethical um, access of, uh, of data, learning data, whether that be from the perspective of whether we as educators have right to ha have access to that. And, and but more importantly, what the companies that are running these databases for us are are doing with that data in the background, as well as giving us that insight. So it's, a, it's definitely a hot area of um, of, of debate, uh, which will will no doubt um, uh, carry on over the over the coming months. Um, but Paula, again, thinking about your um, involvement with the general qualification sector, but but not exclusively. What what's your take on how ready we are for changing that Big Bang assessment model that uh, that we're so we've grown so used to? The straight answer is not ready, not at all. <laughs> this is it's basically down to the model of the exam. It, as Marin said, uh, continuous assessment has its ups and it has its downs. Uh, so, okay, park that to one side. That I imagine even if there is some sort of continuous assessment, an exam on a set day at a set time will still be with us in some form of form or another for some time to come. Um, for example, um, in FE um, colleges, many of the students have to sit a functional skills exam as well. That is functional skills, maths or English, where they have to demonstrate that they have the basic understanding of writing and maths in everyday situations. Now, these exams are very good. They tick the box of authentic which is what the GISC report asked us to do. That is that they demonstrate and ask the candidate to show they know how to do something in everyday situations. But in FE, because every student has to take these exams, you get the situation as now, where you can get a situation where up to a thousand or even more candidates are sitting a functional skills exam on a set day at a set time, at or all under one roof. And I know some colleges actually hire football stadiums to fit all of their candidates in at the same time. Now, okay, a thousand candidates, you wanna move that to say online where they're not writing the exam onto a piece of paper, but they're taking it on their tablet or a computer. Uh, is there anywhere uh, in a business environment where a thousand people all suddenly converging on Wi-Fi could cope, even if it's not Wi-Fi, a thousand uh, devices all powered up at the same time, if they're going to be plugged into the mains, can the mains in a building cope with that? If their battery powers, are they all going to be reliable and switch on? Even if 1% of those thousand candidates' computers fail, is this new digital invigilator going to spot it and run up in time and be able to cope with the fact that he's got this person has five or ten candidates they have to deal with and get ready within five or ten minutes? Otherwise, they've lost time in their exams. So I think it's a nice idea, but let's think it through. 
Yeah, and, and and I think you know all of the things you said there, and I I, I was um was 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 quietly giggling away as you were describing the scenario because it you know, has the potential to be um, hugely chaotic and hugely disruptive, and and ultimately the biggest loser in that is the learner who's trying to demonstrate that they've got the knowledge and the skills to uh, to pass the uh, the particular assessment um, that's at hand, but but with all of that points to to perhaps the the biggest the, the big elephant in the room if you like from 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 all of this um, uh, the perspective of this is about moving away from from being so focused around a, a, an endpoint um, uh, assessment as being the only thing that contributes to your uh, to to your ability to demonstrate um, your competence in a particular um, knowledge or, or skill area and and more leans more weight uh, around uh, the continuous um, type approach and and, and 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 you know taking taking on board both what both of you have said around us not being necessarily ready for that in all of the sectors that that, that we deal with yet it, i think that has to be overall a, 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 an important aspiration for us because without changing the model um, it's very difficult to understand how we might change um, um, the uh, or, or introduce more innovation in that assessment piece. So that, that's that's really interesting. And, and, and I suppose actually just to to extend that a little bit. And again, apologies because going a little bit off piste here from 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 what we had said we would discuss. But I think there's a there's also a little um, discussion that needs to be have had. Sorry, around the difference between or, or indeed whether there is a valid difference between formative assessment and summative assessment. Because I often worry that we the, the the risks that we perceive associating uh, associated with summative assessment holds back innovation and if you look at um i'm not saying that that's wrong that there are you know it is high stakes by its very nature but that we should become less reliant purely on summative and use more formative ongoing evidence through um a, a, an approach uh, sorry, through a, um, a learning experience to help inform the final outcome for a student. T to what do you agree or disagree with that in the context of what you, you've seen happening within the institutions um, so far? Marin, is it, do you want to comment on, on that? It's, it's really, um, I think for me, it's probably about scale, the answer to that question, because I've seen outstanding examples of making it work and I know that it's you know we absolutely have the capability to do so I think the question is um you know and I, and I think I agree with the point Paula made before I think the the question is is there a pedagogic driver or is there you know a driver other than we're just doing it for its own sake because it should be using digital technology which i don't mm. think is a valid reason and for most people um you know is there a driver to try and adopt that into everything to the extent where it will really change the face of assessment rather than being you know additional or um replacing only small parts of the assessment and i suppose um you know the the report that we're discussing i feel doesn't really um, go as far as saying that the, the the face of assessment will change completely. It certainly highlights the potential of technology, um, why it's so important to work with employers and professional bodies and to build capacity. It highlights tools, but I don't think ultimately that it does 
proposed that you know things will be entirely different and um and and i agree with that i don't anticipate there to be a um you know i think we'll see more of the sort of smaller scale um innovations and more change to assessment gradually but not kind of a wholesale adoption and, and, and I suppose perhaps my, 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 my original question was a little um, open-ended and unfair, but the, the, the report does talk about formative assessment um, in, in, in a number of a number of places. And I guess what I was what I was um, trying to uh, to articulate, but not terribly well, was uh, whether or not we're seeing in the sectors that you both work in, whether you're seeing um, formative assessment being seen as more valuable as part of the overall picture of 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 a, of a student's capability because it's it strikes me that you can innovate more easily with formative assessment because people perceive it to be lower stakes um and, and but often people see it as completely disjointed from the summative performance if you like so so is it are you perceiving a shift in people's understanding or um, perception around the importance of formative assessment and has that got a role in in this whole innovation space that's a very long way of putting it but hopefully <laughs> it makes more sense but, but Paula do you want to talk to that well yeah it's a good question and I think we are seeing that now with the often uh, forgotten idea of apprenticeships mm. they the, the new apprenticeships and, and their predecessors their idea of formative assessment that is a, a the the, the exam candidate, if you want to still call them that, the apprentice, has an ongoing portfolio paper in a ring binder or these days captured online in some sort of e-portfolio system, as they're now called, electronic portfolios. Um, and that has been working quite well for, for an awful long time. And, and we've seen some really good examples come up within the e-assessment awards, which has been going on for a few years, where e-portfolios have been highlighted quite prominently. And there's some nice ideas coming out within uh, the vocational, that is business sector, say for nursing, uh, other areas like uh, traditionally areas of apprenticeship, like bricklaying and hairdressing. Uh, and I, I think we can look to those and see that they are working quite well. And within apprenticeships themselves, they are already starting in a very small way to utilise some of these JISC recommendations. That is within the, the form, the area of, uh, of assessment within apprenticeships, you have to have, I'm moving off slightly, a summative, an end assessment where they do sit an exam online, but they also may have to talk to an expert and discuss what they've done over the year or discuss a scenario like now. And that discussion may take place online exactly as we're doing now. And I, I think that's a very good way to go forward. And I think that could be could be if it was allowed within GCSE and traditional A level or other types of exams where I could talk to an examiner, call it a, a university viva, if you like, or online discussion. And I'd really like to see that um, because you could really get to the heart of the person, understand what they know. But again, it's down to people. If I'm talking one to one to an to a, a apprentice or an exam candidate, it's going to take time. 
I'd have to uh, arrange dates and times, which could take um, a while to arrange. And then I may have to talk to this person for half an hour. That compared to, say, marking exam scripts now, I could mark an exam script in 10 minutes. I know that sounds very short, but that is the reality of it. And I can whiz through and get all that done and we'd end up with the same result. So is the industry ready for changing to experts whose time and cost will increase because they take more time over it? Or do they want to stick with somebody who takes minutes to mark an exam? Mm. Uh, that's, that's a good point. And, and, and obviously your, your, your earlier point around um, the, the presence of a more continuous formative model within apprenticeships and being around for a long time is, is very true. And Marin, in, in the world of, of universities, obviously apprenticeships are impinging there too with, with, with higher, higher and degree level apprenticeships. Do you, do you see that, that, that universities' exposure to these different approaches that is, that, that's being um, demanded is too strong a word, but, but encouraged through the use of, 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 of apprenticeship assessment. Is that starting to rub off more generally on other forms of higher education assessment, do you think? Or is it still too early to see that change starting to happen? Um, no, I think we are seeing that absolutely. And we're seeing, you know, a number of other influences, both from apprenticeships, as I mentioned earlier, micro credentials like badges mm. um, that employers use. Um, and I think there is a, a very strong desire to to innovate and to try and keep pace and to remain relevant. And I think in the conclusion of the GISC report, that's, you know, highlighted strongly um, that actually we are as a country currently not necessarily um, following best practice or making full use of the potential that we have. Um, and, and I do think there is a, um, I do think we need to emphasize the, the value we place on the expertise that we have maybe more strongly, because as we discussed previously, we do actually have the know-how to scale up and the know-how to do these things and to take informed decisions and to work better for learners everywhere. Um, so in, in that sense, I certainly welcome the um, the conversation in, in helping highlight that rather than to be stuck in this sort of loop of we don't really know how to do this or we can't really do this yet um, because I, I do feel that we have the capabilities to to do it now like we're not ready for it um i certainly agree that there is a lot of gaps to be closed particularly around um skills and, and staff skills and policies but we we do have a blueprint and we do have the research and the evidence to support it um to make a change if um yeah yeah no that 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 makes sense and i think that that you're right that's often um undervalued and 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 i think there's again a whole other topic of, of, of discussion is how um, how accessible some of the research that has already happened is actually um, uh, in terms of how easy it is for end practitioners and and, and institutional decision makers to uh, to access that. But again, a, a completely um, completely separate conversation. So we won't won't um, dive off onto that now. I, I'm, I'm conscious of time, so so wanted to um, to start to uh, to draw us to a close and. One of the one of the the the, well, the last question that that really um, wanted to talk about was JISC's role in 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 all of this, and um, I think we've reflecting back on the conversation that we've had, um, 
we can all see very positive things in the report, but we can also see areas where they could do more. And thinking more specifically about JISC in general, they're often um, perceived, albeit having responsibility across both HE and FE and um, supporting um, technology innovation um, as they do, and they and, and they try to do very well, I think. Um, is there is there is there a tendency, do we think, that JISC sometimes focuses on the larger, more um, whizzy type of, of, of projects and um, that those tend to be more focused around uh, research and, uh, and and higher educational contexts? And, 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 and I suppose that the, the, the question I'm trying to get to here is that is there more that JISC could be doing on a practical level to support some of this change? So the report's great, it's a good first step, but what, what does JISC need to do now in order to make the reality of change over a five-year or ten-year period um, come come about? Is there is there more practical things that that JISC could be doing to support this change? Marin, can I come to you again first on that? Sure, Matt. Um, well, you know, we we very much look forward to um, like other professional bodies to working with JISC to um, to work on this vision. And, um, you know, there's certainly much food for thought and lots of um, really useful ideas in this report. I, th I also think um, JISC have got um, key responsibility across sectors for really essential infrastructure like the Genet network mm -hmm. um, and also its role in relation to industry that I think, you know, benefits both HE and FE sectors strongly. And if there's any institutions who aren't making use of, of those things, um, then I would certainly recommend that they do. I think it will be helpful for JISC to hear from independent bodies like the Assessment Association, like ALT, um, like um, CEDA and USISA, um, who have expertise related to assessment in their own right and who can contribute to bringing that vision to life. Um, it's certainly enough of a challenge, I think, for all of us to be working together. Yes, that's, that's, those, those are very well made points. Thank you for that. Paula, any, any last thoughts on, on this particular area about what JISC needs, could be doing more of and how we help, how they help us all move forward in this area? Yes, I would suggest that JISC needs to step back and actually embrace the power of the biro because let's let's face it paper and written exams are a big part of what we do now and unless we change those with the mindset as we discussed earlier i i don't think uh, we're going to get even into the the first step of moving to online exams successfully within this country so i think uh, if we could if awarding bodies could see that candidates could successfully, using my example, be allowed to sketch freehand anything they liked or demonstrate their understanding not using text on paper and or any other way on paper that they want to. So we're moving away from my role at the moment, which is writing formal exam questions and, uh, and marking those formal exam questions, but marking a sketch, marking anything that the candidate wants to put down on a piece of paper. If we can un understand that and accept it, I think you then change the mindset fundamentally 
and then you can then move on to anything you like the world's your lobster you know video cameras <laughs> online whatever you like you know artificial reality blah i think we can then move on at a great pace but i think that first step is what we need to do by rome <laughs> I totally second that. <laughs> Not all learning technology has to be digital. I think that is a very poignant point. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I think in, in, in looking back at our conversation, and there are many other things that we could have talked about um, in relation to the report and in relation to the role that technology can um, play in supporting effective and uh, assessment and learning. Um, the key things that come for me as this conversation is that we have to step back and make sure that we are supporting the people at, the, uh, at all levels in, 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 in the process, be that at the chalk face or uh, within policy making decision uh, making roles um, and the culture that flows from that around the, the, the most effective and, and, and uh, um, beneficial for the learner's perspective, the most beneficial um, uh, assessment models that we can adopt. It's all about people and culture and getting the assessment model right and then the technology is is an enabler um, ultimately isn't it and and we shouldn't be trying to force the tech the, the change and the innovation through the technology we should be using the technology to support and empower um, that innovation and change that comes naturally by um, helping the culture and the people to evolve in the in the deployment of assessment so um, I am conscious that we've run out of time. As I say, we could carry on this conversation and, and talk about other things, but I'd like to end by, by thanking you both. Um, it's been really interesting talking to you um, and thank you very much for uh, both taking the time um, out to join this call and also uh, for the contributions you've made. It's, uh, it's been really interesting. Any, 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 any last thoughts before we, we wrap up or, or, or are, we, uh, are, are, you, are you done in, in that respect? That's all from me, Matt, but thank you very much to both of you for um, a really interesting conversation. I look forward to seeing where we got um, a few months from now. Indeed. Paula? No, it's been great. I've really enjoyed talking through ideas with all, all of you. It's been very stimulating. Thank you. Thank you both again um, and uh, enjoy the rest of your days. This has been an e-assessment association podcast. You can subscribe to these podcasts through your standard podcasting channels and you can also find out more information on our website which is e-assessment.com you can join the association for free and learn about all our amazing activities in terms of research awards conferences news and information thank you and i hope to see you back soon